All righty. You guys doing all right? It's amazing how everyone's mood goes up like four notches when the sun's out for longer than 24 hours. It's kind of one of those things that I feel like it is almost at an unhealthy place for me. Um, I've been working on it, but it's just where I'm at. You guys can just meet me in my process tonight. Uh, If it gets rainy for longer than 24 hours, I start to have internal turbulence that is, uh, you know, and the worst thing that could ever happen to me personally, probably on a list of bad things, is to pay hundreds of dollars, maybe thousands of dollars to go to the beach for a week, and then it rains. I went to the beach last year one time, and it rained for four days straight. A tornado hit the island I was on and picked up a picnic table and threw it into a pine tree. Two days in, I, I hadn't talked to God for two days because I was mad. <laughs> Uh, just where I was. And, you know, we have weak spots, and that for me is a weak spot. And that uh, a book called, uh, it's a, a devotional, you probably have heard of it, uh, Jesus Calling, I think that's what it's called. And uh, I'm not promoting, I don't really know, but it just happened to be on the table downstairs. And so I said, you know what, it's raining outside, I might as well open it up. And it ended up, it was about holding grudges against God and how you needed to repent from being prideful. So I literally went to my bedroom in the beach house and repented for being mad about the rain. Talking about the beach, because we're talking about Sabbath, to me that's a place of rest. And I just want to talk about something, you know, I haven't had this kind of stage in a little in several weeks to start to, to vent a little bit about something that I really don't like about people when they go to the beach with me. If you go to the beach with me, there's an internal expectation. It's not that I want to control people, but I do want you to be on my schedule. (laughs) It's not that I want to control or manipulate. It's just that I want to dictate where you will be as it regards to the beach. Because when you go to the beach, you're supposed to go to the beach, right? Have you, how many of you are people that when you go to the beach, you are on the beach like 9, 10 a.m.? Raise your hand. This is, see, that is a Sunday night crowd. You guys know what life is about. <laughs> how many of you have ever gone to the beach? Do not be offended if this is you, or if you do get offended, then just work through it and repent <laughs> and get to the beach earlier. How many of you, when you go to the beach, you kind of... You may go to the beach. You may not go to the beach. You might get there at 2 p.m. You just don't want to rush it, you know, and you take three hours to pack a cooler, and you might get there at 3 p.m. Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Look, there's several. There's several. Okay, I'm talking about you guys right now. I can't explain the predicament that it, it puts my soul in. When I'm with people who go to the beach with me, and I've gotten out there at 10 a.m. with my three children, and they come strolling out at 2 p.m. This is the face that greets them, this first emoji, I picked emojis. This is the face that, this is what they see. Yeah. 
Now, behind the shades, this is what is really happening. (laughs) Sunglasses hide a lot. Going to the beach and getting there at 2 p.m. is like going to a Braves baseball game and sitting in the parking lot until the sixth inning because you don't want to rush things. (laughs) There are some things that are worth rushing for. And the beach is one of them. All the mountain people in here are like, what is he talking about? Not connecting, not connecting. Just think about the mountains. You just sit in the house. At the beach, you have to get out of the house. Why not not spend the $2,000 and stay at your own house? (laughs) Pack a cooler for your backyard. Go there at 3 (laughs) p.m. So if any of you have any words of counsel and wisdom for me, then I'll, I'll receive it. I want to read a couple of scriptures. Believe it or not, I am going to teach a little bit tonight. And I really believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do some ministry. There was a, a sweet presence of the Holy Spirit that blew through here a few minutes ago that uh, it sit, had a sense of refreshing and revival. For me personally, that I hadn't sensed even here since we'd moved. And I, I believe that there are some people who really need, you need fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. And maybe even to to energize what the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you maybe the past few months of the beginning of this year. But sometimes we can know what God's saying but not have that energy working within us of the Holy Spirit to actually have it work out. You know, we can tell you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but the reality is we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to energize what's inside of us so that we can walk in the grace that God has for us. And so I want to kind of break down something that I haven't talked about before. I think it's, it's been emphasized a little bit in the last few weeks, but I wanted you guys to hear it coming from me because a lot of the Sabbath teaching that I've taught has been a lot about leaning back into the Father and, and you know really ceasing from striving and resting in God. and All those things are wonderful, but something that can get lost in that translation is realizing that you do have to do something in order to walk in a place of rest. Now, I'm not talking about taking a day off. We've talked about that. I'm not talking about going to the beach, although I would love to talk about that for 45 minutes. I'm talking about even during your work week, what does it look like to walk in a place of rest? So let's read a a few scriptures that connect faith and action with Sabbath rest. We, uh, I heard that Jess taught some of these scriptures last week, and so we're going to just go through, through them again. Hebrews 4.1, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. So the value of God's word of your life, the written word, the logos, or the rhema, is actually determined by your level of obedience to it. You combine it with faith, and then you walk it out in obedience. Faith is inherently action. It is. We'll talk about that in in James, but let's read this in Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. 
There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. A life that's lived in the rest of God is an obedient life. Outside of obedience, outside of faith, outside of obedience, there's turmoil and strife. Whether it's from the enemy, your own conviction, your own, the world, the only place where we keep in step with the Spirit and carry that, that easy burden, the light yoke of Jesus is in the place of doing what he's told us to do. I want to go a little bit deeper in, into this. In James 2, 26, it says this, As the body without the Spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The actual translation there, if you look in this, in the, I believe the Greek, it actually says that as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And he says it over and over again in James in this chapter. One of the verses actually says, faith without deeds is death. And it's actually what Jesus saw in the Pharisees. And he told, he told his disciples, do what they say, but don't do what they do. Because they confess faith, but they don't actually live it out. John the Baptist accused them as they were approaching to be baptized. And he said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Their issue was that they said the right things. They assented to the right beliefs, but their lifestyle didn't actually mirror what they said they believed. Now, all of this is in the grace of God. We just read in Hebrews that anyone who walks into the rest of God ceases from their works. But it doesn't say that they don't work. It says they cease from their works. So we lay down our works, which is our own initiative, our own strength, our own ideas, the way that seems right to a man. And we pick up his works, which are actually already finished. So when we work his works, it's not by the sweat of our brow anymore. It's actually by the sweat of his brow in the garden. And we actually are energized by his sacrifice to live a life of resurrection power as if we were him. As if we were his, his literal body, which we are. So his power is propelling us. And we're able to actually make more impact and actually live more fruitful lives with less stress, with less of a drained feeling at the end of the day, with less of a sense of, of being overwhelmed by anxiety and the worries and cares of life. We can produce much fruit and at the same time, remain in a place of peace. And that's what Jesus actually modeled for us. I want to tell this story, and I want to break this down because it's important to know how to enter into grace. Because like I said, living a life of Sabbath is completely connected to living a life of obedience. Because if I do what he's saying, it's not my work, it's his work, and I can be at rest. And I get help, help from the Holy Spirit, help from the angels, help from my brothers and sisters. If I'm doing it on my own, then it's striving, it's a burden, it's just, we're going through the motions. I remember walking into a housing authority, which is low-income housing, with several of my college buddies, and uh, there's about five of us guys, and we're walking around, and we find a, a group of kids who are 
a couple were shooting uh, hoops and another kid was sitting on this, the curb and he had his ankle completely wrapped up. And so we walked up to him and said, hey, we're believers uh, walking in your neighborhood. Uh, can we pray for your ankle? And they said, you know, no, we're not going to let you pray for him. We don't want any prayer. We're not, we're not Christians. We're actually atheists. And so I said, if, if I pray for you, his name was Diego, and God instantly heals your ankle, then can we tell you about Jesus? And he said, sure, deal. I said, give me 10 seconds. And he said, sure, deal. We pray for his ankle, and he couldn't walk on it before, no pressure. He couldn't put any pressure on it. And God instantly healed his ankle. He said he felt like electricity was going through it. His friends thought he was being nice to us or just playing a joke or pranking us because he kept on looking at his friends and going, no, dude, no, dude, no, dude, it's, this is real, it, it's real, I can't have any pain. And he starts sprinting around the cul-de-sac. And they're just looking at us like deer in, in headlights. So we start praying for him. We said, can we just pray for you to be touched by the presence of God? We still hadn't preached the gospel to him. And we start praying for him. One of them hits the, he, he was standing on the curb and falls backwards into the grass. The grass. This is not like, Altar time. I had no rag for him, you know, to throw on. <laughs> Just keep it decent in the housing projects. No, his shirt was up to his chest and he was, he was out. He got knocked out. Um, some, some of us, like me, growing up in the Baptist church, I started going to a charismatic church and I thought, these people are a bunch of Looney Tunes. But then I saw that stuff like that about a dozen times and, uh, I still think it's crazy, but it's real. <laughs> God can do whatever he wants, and he knows it. They get up, they give their lives to Jesus, get saved. We come back to that same neighborhood the next day, and two guys walk up to me and my friend, and they say, we heard about Diego's ankle. We hadn't said a word. They said, you're the guys that prayed for his ankle. We said, yes. They said, we heard about his ankle and we want you to tell us how to ha have our sins forgiven. Because we heard about the message that you preached yesterday. We want that same thing in our lives. When you, here's, here's the reality. I didn't wake up one day and think to myself, you know, I think I'm going to go walk through gang territory. I grew up in the country club. It's not even a smart idea if you did have the idea. But I never had the idea. It was not like I just, I wanted to do something great. I, I came to God and I was broken in some way, like in a moment like we just had here, whether it was someone that was a believer or, or a series of different things through dreams or through reading about it in the word of God, reading about Mark 16, where it says that anyone who believes will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. And the word of God started penetrating my soul. And I started believing it. And when you believe the word of God and you combine it with action, all of a sudden you find yourself in front of Diego and grace appears. Grace is power. Grace is the goodness of God. Grace is a release of, of something that you couldn't do apart from yourself. And that's what makes Living a Sabbath-filled life, a rest-filled life, a life that's filled with the grace of God. And a life that's filled with the grace of God is a life that's not lived by my own initiative, 
not lived by my, on my own terms, but it's lived by faith. So what if he didn't get healed? Well, that's happened hundreds of times to me. There's still a grace. There's still a grace. When we're just obedient, when we just step out, when we just do what he's asked us to do, by faith, that's a life that's lived in the rest of God. You sow a little seed and you come back and there's a forest. That's the kingdom of God. It's Jesus and the Samaritan woman, one person. I've had this word this last several weeks that we're in a season of a Samaritan woman, of just one person. I was at a, a restaurant with a couple of friends last week and and it was actually Corey and Christian Clay, Corey Reed and Christian, Christian Clay. And Corey starts prophesying over our waitress. And, we, and then Christian and I both give her words. And she's just crying and crying and crying. And just the look of hope in her eyes, like, she, like we, we might be the only ones in the, in the next six months who can even do that. Who, who are, maybe not, some of you probably eat there. I'm not going to name the restaurant. But I think, I have to think those thoughts like that, like, She has real issues in her life, and God has commissioned me. I have the word of God behind me. And that means if I walk in obedience to that word, then grace will appear. And how many of you know that it's not just grace for the power of God to hit someone's life, for the love of Jesus to hit someone's life. It actually goes home with you. Don't you feel, can't you just sleep easier when you've been doing the works of Jesus? Whether it was being kind to someone or whether it was healing the sick, what, whatever it was, if, whether you just gave generously, a peace comes on your life. That's because the Sabbath rest of God is only found in his grace. And grace is only found in obedience. So an obedient life is a restful life. Obedience is not the same thing as having a lot of activity. Activity and fruitfulness are not the same thing. Sometimes it really is quality over quantity. Look at the life of Jesus. I only do, he said, what I hear and see my father doing. And he is peace. I want us just to break this down to make sure we understand. This is so important to understand why some people struggle to walk in a place of rest or why they struggle to walk in a place of grace on their life. This is just kind of a a 101 as far as understanding how the the spiritual world operates um, in in the context of the word of God in our obedience. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, you know this verse. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Like I said, it wasn't my idea. But it is through grace you have been saved through faith. So we know we have to have faith in order for grace to appear. A lot of this, a lot of times this scripture has been used to just describe salvation. But Paul said, I am continually being saved. I'm working out my salvation Deliverance isn't a one-time thing. How many of you have been protected physically in the last two years by the Lord? You know it. Yeah. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. But there's a level of protection, Psalm 91, when you're walking in a place of obedience to the will of God, 
where the grace appears because of faith. Look at Romans 10, 17. How do we get faith? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. That's easy. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. So, simply, this is the step. I've said it several times, but just so you've seen it through the scriptures. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. Grace comes by faith. You hear the word, you believe and obey, grace. Here's what I've tried to do sometimes. Jesus calls me out on the water. I listen to him. I debate what that might look like. I process it, but never combine it with faith. I might even lean over the side of the boat and try to dip my toe in the water. Some of you just wanted me to fall off the stage right now. <laughs> you know when Jesus said he, he, know, he knew what was in their hearts? Uh, maybe it's somebody on live stream. No. I can't just dabble in faith. Faith is the opposite of unbelief. And there are, are no real in-betweens. I'm either free-falling down into that water or I'm on solid ground. I can't straddle water and boat. I can't test it out. And I, I spent a lot of time testing out the water to see if grace had hit the water yet because I thought if grace has hit the water and it's turned solid, then I'll get out. And you just kind of, it's like, it just really still feels liquidy. It feels splashy. doesn't feel supportive. And the reason is, is because that water will never turn solid until I'm somewhere in between the boat and the water. It won't turn solid a bit. Grace, the power of God hits when we leap. And it's the only place where it hits. Grace, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and we're saved by grace through that faith. I started thinking after listening to some of these messages and hearing what Chad's been preaching and hearing just what the Spirit was speaking to me and what I've been reading in the Word and thought about several different things where God had spoken something to me. And he said, do this. One of them is opening up a, a bank account for savings for my children. I'm only 32. A lot of 32-year-olds don't do that, especially middle-class 32-year-olds. Mark Zuckerberg might, but to me, it wasn't a logical thought, you know. I'm thinking, how about a normal savings? How about some retirement or something like that, you know. But, but God's been speaking to me about legacy and about how if I want to walk in an impact that impacts a third and fourth and fifth generation, then I have to connect my finances to that third and fourth and fifth generation, or I'm just completely talking without action. I can't say that I want to impact, be a part of a revival that never ends if I'm not connecting with something that's bigger than my own house and my kids. And it has to, it has to get bigger than that. It has to connect. It has to get grounded. And finance is one of the best way, ways for it to get grounded. But I still haven't done that. And I'm committing to do that. Maybe, just maybe, some of the thoughts that I've thought at certain times, like, Lord, I wonder what's going on 
financially for me or like, I know you said this and it doesn't seem like things are lining up or, or maybe even a restlessness at times you feel, you might feel about finances. Did God tell you to do something with your finances? If you haven't done it, then you're probably not going to experience rest in that area until you've done what he said to do. There are people in this room that struggle with tithing. that are more restless about finances than people in this room who just obey and just give. That's because rest, the grace of God, lands in that place of faith. It almost makes no sense. We want to test it out, test the waters, but God is saying, I want you to test it, but I want you in a free fall. Do it. It's not going to surprise me at all if the day after I open that bank account for my kids that God does miracles in my finances. It won't surprise me at all. It's just how it works. It's just how it works. What, what area is God calling you? And this is kind of a practical tonight. I want you to do this before we start doing some ministry time. Because I do sense that even if you have the word from the Lord, sometimes you have things that are holding you back, whether it's... Uh, um, Ann and I both saw the same picture of cobwebs being blown away. Of where the enemy has just kind of laced people in this entrapment. In the, in, but it's, it's really thin and the Holy Spirit can just burn it up or blow it away. And we can be free. Because you can know, sometimes you can know that, that God said something to you, but you just feel restrained and held back by things. Whether it's the worries and cares of life, whether it's addiction, whatever, whatever it is, God can can remove that and give you a, a real fresh start so that we can step into that grace through faith. I want you to spend just 60 seconds and write down in your phone or in your journal, whatever you're using to write, a few things that God's told you to do that you haven't done, free of condemnation. This isn't about condemnation. This is about the grace of God landing on our lives. This is about breakthrough and power being released and rest flooding your soul. Is there anything that has just kind of slipped that he said to do? And you may have even tried it. God bless our hearts. I found a verse in Psalms that says that God lead, leads the ones who have young gently. Parents, the ones who have young, he leads us gently. You single people, no, you have no excuses, no. But what, what has he told you to do? Just think about it for a minute. Write it down. Tell someone about it and commit to it. Ask for accountability. And just write down a sin that you're trying to stop. Talking about the works of Jesus. What has he, what has he said that you would do that you haven't actually pay, put legs to? And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to stir us up to make us excited about the grace that could come and that will come when we put legs and faith to something that God's already spoken to us. Just do this. You've got to stand with me. I'm going to ask um, Brian and the guys to come back if they're still here. Let's just wait on the Holy Spirit for a minute. We ended the message early and there's just a lot of space for just us to really hear him. 
He's not angry at me, by the way, for not opening up an account for my kids. He's really excited about it. So he's reminding us of things. It's, It's more of an excited dad who gave us a gift through a word that we haven't opened up through faith, and so we haven't experienced the grace. And he's saying, you remember that thing you just threw in the back? If you actually dig into this thing a little bit, there's something amazing. It's him. If you're here tonight and you have this sense of feeling drained and held back, you feel like those cobwebs are on you, then I want you to come up to the front. I know we just had an altar call earlier, but um, there's a grace, I believe, even in this season, in this next season, the next two or three months specifically, where there's refreshing that God is resurrecting old things that have almost died or have died, and he's He's breathing life on things that he's spoken in the past and it's it's like he's initiating something even things that he already initiated but died he's resurrecting those things if you feel drained not just tired but there's a sense of you've been tired for a long time you're sleeping but you're, there's something in your spirit that just you need refreshing just going to wait on the spirit. Andy, if you have any words. I just want to encourage you with the, um, the finance word as well. Um, what Mike is saying for us, we went into a season where the Lord said to give away more than we could afford to give away. It was above our tithe. And um, we noticed something really interesting happen in that time. He never let us down. It came within two pounds one month that's two two dollars fifty something like that um i once needed shoes for my son and i was like lord i need about 30 pounds to buy a pair of shoes and i was like you know what size his feet are i need you to come through for me and somebody turned up rang our doorbell with a pair of shoes when we take these steps the thing one of the things i noticed with that was that we saw signs and wonders go right up in our church as we stepped out. Because when we're stepping out, he's calling us into a place of dependence. And that dependence on him activates that faith in us. And he meets us in that place. So if you feel called about finance, I want to encourage you to come up as well. Just to commit those finances afresh. That every bit belongs to him. Just invite the Holy Spirit again. Holy Spirit, come. Just put out your hands like you're receiving a gift. It wasn't our idea to ask for, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That was his idea. And he's really good at upholding his end of the bargain. He's not wondering if he wants to empower us or not. He's waiting on us to ask for it. He's waiting on us to position ourselves in obedience. Submission to his will. The grace of God, Holy Spirit, lands in a fresh way. Come, Holy Spirit. If you pray in the Spirit, just pray in the Spirit. If you don't pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. More, Holy Spirit. 